This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Jen, I'm so excited to connect with you and hear all about your new book, Cleanish. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, it was a different kind of book for me to write since I'm in the intermittent fasting world most of the time. So or exactly. all of the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what was like the impetus of the book? I know you have a couple books on fasting already, and obviously this is an area that you are an expert in, but what was the impetus? Did something shift for you in the last 20 to 22 months, like the rest of us, or was it just really, you felt like you were ready to kind of dive into a different topic? You know, that's a great question. And, you know, I've been in the intermittent fasting community in, you know, groups with other intermittent fasters since really 2014. And what we noticed over time is that most intermittent fasters go through a very similar kind of progression. Not everyone, you know, everyone's going to have it a little bit differently, but a lot of people will start off, you know, let's say someone's eating the standard American diet Mm -hmm. and they're struggling with their weight. They're struggling with their health because we know the standard American Mm -hmm. diet is not health promoting (laughs) at all, Mm -hmm. but people will start intermittent fasting, you know, instead of changing what they eat, they just change when they're eating, they adopt the intermittent fasting lifestyle. And they're like, that's it. This is amazing. I'm just, you know, eating whatever I want. Right. And then over time, they find that their body starts communicating with them in a different kind of way. They start to crave real food, Mm -hmm. you know, like something that they used to love, you know, maybe one of their ultra processed favorite treats, suddenly they'll try it. And they're like, wait, that wasn't as good as it used Mm to be. So people start to naturally gravitate towards, you know, higher quality food, real food, and it happens naturally. So we've seen it happen over and over again with thousands of people. So that also happened for me. You know, I started off, I was obese, I was 210 pounds. And I was so tired of trying to change what I was eating and follow, you know, a diet of some sort or another. So that's what really excited me about intermittent fasting. And I started right there, you know, like a lot of people with the standard American diet, but that was, you know, 2014. Now in 2021, I am like a completely different person and it happened naturally. So that progression that we follow, you know, so many of us follow in the intermittent fasting world just kind of led me down the path of, you know, I'm eating higher quality foods. I want to eat more real foods. You know, why? And then why do I feel better when I eat real foods? And then you start digging into why are ultra processed foods not ideal for us? And then you start going down different rabbit holes as well. Like, well, you know, this is what I'm putting in my body. What about, you know, the chemicals that I'm using in my house? What about you know, the things I'm putting on my skin. And so you just keep going down one path after another. And then you're like, wow, (laughs) I need to change some other things too. And it's funny when I wrote my last book is my first traditionally published book because my others were all self-published. When I published Fast Feast Repeat with a traditional publisher and, you know, it was a New York Times bestseller. That was very exciting. And we were having a call. It was with, you know, my literary agent and my editor. And they're like, we're very excited to work with you on another book. What's your next intermittent fasting book going to be? <laughs> I said, oh, no, <laughs> I don't want to write another intermittent fasting book because I said everything I wanted to say mm-hmm. in fast feast repeat. And so I want to write something different. And that was a little bit of a hard sell, I have Mm -hmm. to admit, because once you're, you know, like, they're like, well, but you're intermittent fasting, you know, you've got the intermittent fasting podcast and the intermittent fasting stories podcast. So we would like you to just continue down that path. And I'm like, you know, I really want to help intermittent fasters who are going on this same path. And how can they make the next steps along the way? And that's where the idea for cleanish was born. Well, and I I love that concept because you and I both know that there are always individuals that will maybe hit a plateau with intermittent fasting, or they may get stuck or they may not lose weight. And I always say weight loss resistance is related to so many different issues. And so digging a bit deeper, you know, it's like peeling that onion. Like each time you peel a layer of the onion, it's like, oh, maybe that's contributing. Or now I want to be more conscientious and more mindful of this. And it's interesting this past weekend, I spoke at an event and I talked about metabolic flexibility in the context of intermittent fasting as being a strategy. 
And one statistic that I found really astounding is that it was a UNC-led public school public health statistic that only 12% of Americans are metabolically flexible. And that kind yeah. of took almost took the wind out of my sails. I was like, 88.2% of Americans are metabolically inflexible. And so I, I really think for people that are looking to kind of dig a bit deeper be able to read information that's not presented in a scary way. You present mm-hmm. it in a very balanced way. And one of the things that I you know love about you and your mission is you're a teacher, right. an educator. This is the place that you come from. So let's unpack some of the, the statistics that you included in the book that are, you know, kind of scary when you think they about- They really, really yeah, are. <laughs> like you really, it's mind boggling. Like when you mm-hmm. start to realize how some of these ingredients- these hyper palatable, highly processed foods, how they impact our hormones, how they impact our health in very negative ways. And so when I was reading through that, I was just like, it's just another reminder that each one of us really need to be advocating for not only ourselves, but as educators, really advocating for people to take a more careful, conscientious look at what they're doing and their personal care products and food and environment, because it's all so, so important. It really, really is. And, you know, one of the statistics that just, I mean, I'm not surprised when I heard it, but, you know, more than 50, the average adult American, let's just say the average U.S. adult eats over 50% of their diet is ultra processed foods. That's scary. Over 50%. So, and I mean, I would, that that's average. I would, you know, there's a lot of people that are eating probably, I don't know, 99% ultra processed foods. Right. And you know, we've got a lot of research on ultra processed foods and how they mm-hmm. affect our health and not any of it's good. I hear there's, yeah. you know, you know how you can go to PubMed and start looking for mm-hmm. all sorts of different things. And there's rarely a topic where everything agrees, right? <laughs> ultra processed foods can't find a single study. That's like, no. Hey, these are awesome. These no. are linked to better health outcomes. You know? <laughs> no. And you know, it's what I found really disturbing slash staggering was that, you know, Ben Bickman is, as you mm-hmm. probably know, is this insulin researcher and just this incredible resource. And he and I were having a discussion and he said, the number one consumed fat in the United States is soybean oil. Yeah. So if you're eating a lot of highly processed foods, you're yep. getting a lot of soybean oil, which we know is inflammatory and oftentimes yep. rancid and drives carbohydrate addiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from that comes insulin resistance. And so if you do nothing else, pre-food labels, you know, that's like the big takeaways. It's like, if you do nothing else, it's like, I've started saying to people, if you do nothing else, read food labels, right? Because it's so, so important. Now I found it really interesting. And I I think as moms that oftentimes our children are our best teachers and you tell the story about, we both the moms of all boys, you tell the story about your younger son and how he had some behavioral changes that were related to his exposure to specific types of food dyes. And I found this really interesting and actually brought me back to my second born child who would go from being this happy, mm-hmm. well-behaved little person to being a, a raving loon when he went to birthday parties, because there was always like red icing on things. And my husband thought I was a little bananas. And I remember he took him to the movies one time and let him have like I don't know if it was like high C fruit punch <laughs> and he was fine. And he said, Oh my God, he had half of it. And he was like, we had to take him out of the movie theater. We had to throw yeah. it away. He was like, I wasn't a believer, but I am now. So let's talk about that. Obviously, you know, talk about your experiences with your son, but also what are these food dyes doing to our children or ourselves mm-hmm. in terms of impacting behavior and health in negative ways? And, you know, it's more than just food dyes. It's so Mm -hmm. many other, it's all these additives, artificial flavors, artificial colors, preservatives, all those things. You know, I like to think of my boy, Will, he was like that canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, if I go back even further to when I was pregnant with him, you know, I got pregnant with my second child when my older one was nine months old. So my boys are 18 months apart. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So now imagine, you know, here, I remember, I remember being at my school. I just moved to a new school. We'd moved to a new town. And one of the teachers like, you're having a baby. I don't you have a baby. (laughs) And I'm like, yes. You're like, oops. Yeah. I did it on purpose, even. I don't right. know. I wanted them to be close. But anyway, because I had, you know, a baby and a toddler and and another one on the way, 
and I was teaching in a new school system. And I just, you know, I popped my prenatal vitamin mm. and ate my standard American diet food and a lot of drive through, a lot of processed food for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was raised, you know, 70s and 80s mm-hmm. when we were taught in school. I mean, I don't know, maybe they taught it in a different way, but I just wasn't listening. That's entirely possible. And I just (laughs) took away what I wanted. Mm -hmm. But what I learned from nutrition in school was you need vitamins and minerals. That's why you eat vegetables, but you could take a vitamin. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Somehow that's what I got out of that. Mm -hmm. So I popped my prenatal vitamin, ate whatever I wanted, and I knew I was building a healthy baby. So Will was born, he had thrush as an infant, you know, I'm pretty sure he, you know, his whole gut microbiome was probably just Mm -hmm. absolutely destroyed. Right. And, you know, I wasn't able to breastfeed my older son because he was so premature. So I went, tried a little bit with Will, but pulled out the formula. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like feeding him this, you know, food from big, whatever, big food, right. This formula and he just, I'm pretty sure had just the worst gut microbiome in the world. And so we know that our gut is like our second brain Mm -hmm. and it affects our mood. I mean, we know this, but we also are learning we're learning so much more about the gut microbiome back in, you know, 1999, we didn't even know all this. We didn't even know what was all down there, but we know that these artificial flavors, colors, all of these, these chemicals that we're taking in actually encourage us to have an unhealthy gut microbiome. So it like, you know, propagates the bad guys that you don't want. And so the good ones can't really grow in there either. So I'm certain his gut microbiome was awful, but when he would eat certain things, his behavior would be crazy. And I just didn't know. I just thought he was, you know, a difficult child, (laughs) but one minute he'd be fine. The next minute he'd be having a tantrum, like you said, and, you know, he got kicked out of one daycare, then he got kicked out of another daycare. Then we went to a private school. And fortunately, one day, his private school teacher said to me, you know, could it be what he's eating? What did he have for breakfast? And I thought she was crazy. I had been a teacher, you know, for at that point for over 10 years. And I had never heard that what the children were eating other than, you know, we all know about sugar, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, they've got a sugar high. We knew about that. But no one had ever told me or I'd never heard the idea that what you eat could affect your behavior other than just the sugar high sugar rush. So I went home and started, you know, searching and found this whole community of people based on the work of Dr. Feingold, who was out of California. He was a pediatric allergist. So he started making the connection between, you know, food dyes and preservatives and artificial junk in our foods and children's behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and I started finding other, you know, allergists and, you know, doctors who were saying the same kind of a thing. Even, you know, like a book I read called Brain Allergies, the foreword was written by Linus Pauling. I mean, wow. you know, he's a Nobel Prize winner. Mm-hmm. And Linus Pauling is talking about how, you know, these chemicals that we in, ingest can affect our brain. Mm-hmm. And so we followed the fine gold program. We did it for both of our boys because it was easier you know, to, to mm-hmm. do it for both of them, but we removed all artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives. And it was around about, I guess, 2003. Mm-hmm. And we lived in a tiny little Georgia town, Carrollton, Georgia. We had a Walmart grocery store. We had, you know, like just the main grocery stores. We didn't have any natural food stores. We had nothing like that. Mm-hmm. So we had to drive to Atlanta and go to Whole Foods and we would stock up and put it in the freezer. And, but just, you know, putting, you know, getting rid of those foods Mm -hmm. made such a difference for Will. And surprisingly, we realized it made a huge difference for Cal as well. You know, there was an instant, I talk about it in Cleanish when Cal was in kindergarten, I believe he had a cough syrup that he was prescribed and it had red dye in it. And because it was Cal, I was like, well, it's just a brief course of cough syrup. It'll be okay. Well, he went like crazy in his kindergarten classroom that day and his teacher dragged him down to my room and she was like, Cal, tell your mama what you did. I mean, you know, that's how it is when you mm-hmm. have teacher kids. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and he was like having a fit down there and wouldn't do his work Aww. and was throwing things around. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's really making a difference for him as well. It's mm-hmm. not just Will. It, you know, after Cal had not had these things for so long, putting it back in, you could really, really see it. So, you know, I'm so glad that teacher mentioned that to me. Mm-hmm. And so for years we followed 
the, the fine gold approach for, for both of our boys until when Will was in upper elementary school, we realized he had grown out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd grown out of the sensitivities. I think he actually healed his gut microbiome, you know, because we were no longer putting all that junk in, but I hate to admit it. I'm embarrassed to say, I was like, all right, we don't need to do this anymore. Now we can just eat whatever we want again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we reintroduced it all back in and oh, I would do things very differently if I could go back, you well, know, obviously. I- One of the most common concerns I see in perimenopause and menopause is hair loss, hair breakage, hair shedding. And knowing that over 80 million Americans are impacted by this is both reassuring, but it's wonderful to know that there are products available that can help with these symptoms. Divi is good for those with hair shedding or thinning due to stress in perimenopause or menopause. They can be helpful for addressing dry scalp. And have you wanted to take control of your hair health but aren't sure where to start? This is where a Divi can be hugely impactful. I love their scalp serum. And we know that the scalp serum improves the appearance of breakage, nourishes our hair follicles, and removes product and oil buildup. There are some key ingredients, including tea tree oil, which works to reduce and prevent excess oil buildup on the scalp, amino acids that help to strengthen hair, fight frizz, which is my greatest concern, and reduce breakage, and copper tripeptide 1, which is a small protein composed of the three amino acids to facilitate a clean and hydrated scalp, as well as hyaluronic acid, which is nourishing and hydrating to our scalps. As I mentioned, Divi is not just for those experiencing hair loss. I found it to be hugely helpful for scalp health and all of Divi's products, including their shampoos and conditioners, Come together to create a full daily solution that helps women nourish their hair and get to the root of scalp health. Do you want to take back control of your hair and scalp health and do it with clean, science-backed ingredients? Go to DiviOfficial.com slash Cynthia or enter Cynthia at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's D-I-V-I official.com slash Cynthia for 20% off your first order. As I mentioned, my favorite product is the scalp serum. And now that we're in the deep throes of winter weather, it is so wonderfully nourishing and moisturizing. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. I think we are, as parents, we're our own worst critics. Mm -hmm. And I love that you were open to the suggestion that the teacher made to you that maybe there was something more to the behavior that, you know, clearly if he's exposed to a certain you know, chemical or food item that changes this behavior, that there might be more to it than just, you know, labeling, like think about how many children are labeled with behavioral disorders or ADHD that really what they need is a change in their diets and their nutrition program. What's interesting is one of the homes that we lived in a few years ago, lovely family across the street from us and and their son, every time he would come over, he was always eating some kind of junk food. And of Mm -hmm. course, you know, they would say, oh, you know, he's, you know, the pediatrician wants to put him on ADHD medication. And every time they tell me that I was like, why don't you try some nutritional changes first? And I was like, I'm telling you this unsolicitedly and you could go tell me to go pound sand, but they did find that for him, this young man, that if they made significant changes, but I think part of the challenge for a lot of parents is that 
as they kind of change, depending on how old the child is, some kids, they're already addicted to these foods. Yeah, it's hard. It's challenging to make those changes for sure. So, you know, I think for so many of us, we come to different places in our careers and in our mindset related to our children. And so when you got to a point where you had healed your children's guts and you felt like you were at a point where you could kind of reintroduce some of these foods, did you start seeing things creep back in or? Well, not really. I mean, I think that he was okay. He didn't have Mm -hmm. that, you know, whatever. I think we'd repopulated his gut with some better things, but knowing what I know now, I would not have reintroduced everything. Cause again, this is way before I understood about the gut and I'm not even sure that I mean, this is probably, I don't know, 2008 mm-hmm. around and then, and, you know, here we are and we're recording in 2021 yeah. and we've only been able to sequence the gut microbiome in science for the, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure maybe what, 10, 15 years. So we just really didn't know. So I would go back and do a lot of things differently, but, you know, I was an elementary teacher for 28 years. I started teaching in 1990, right out of college. Mm-hmm. And Kids changed from 1990 until I retired in 2018. I can remember, you know, there were always a handful of kids that had difficulty in school and behavioral issues, but like every grade level might have, you know, the one, right. Or something that the principal spent a lot of time getting to know. But when I retired in 2018, I taught in a suburban county, you know, one of the top test score counties in the state of Georgia. Okay. Really good little suburban County, Mm -hmm. you know, good parents, good kids, but every elementary school had these behavior teams that were trained in restraining children. We had gone from, you know, when I started in, you know, 1990 to every school has a behavior team that they're the only ones allowed to restrain the children. But the fact that every school had to have people trained, the children are just they're really out of control and it's scary to them and mm-hmm. scary. To, you know, when Will was having those tantrums, mm-hmm. it was scary to him because he felt so out of control mm-hmm. in his own body and to see the students feeling that way. And the, and the parents are just like, I don't know. So you go to the doctor and you're desperate. And we thank goodness for that teacher. We did not go to the doctor and say, we got to get some medicine. He keeps getting kicked out of places, you know. We tried the food. We tried changing that. We changed, you know, the personal care products. We changed what I cleaned the house with back then. And it made a difference. But if you sprayed like, you know, Lysol spray around him, he would go crazy. You know, wow. if we went somewhere, a brand new house and the carpet was off gassing his behavior, you could see his eyes, the switch just flipped. And so I'm a big believer now after seeing it with my own child, but we could have just gotten medication and then just, well, you know, he takes this medication. I am not downplaying any parent that chooses medication because you really are desperate. I just happened to hear the information at the right time that I needed and, you know, found the right, you know, support to help us with the Feingold organization. They're still out there, feingold.org for any parents who think, hmm, this could be us. You know, they can really walk you through what products are, are safer. You know, there's still things like, you know, candy. We all know candy is not ideal, but they have a list of here's yeah. some ones that, you know, you could probably include for your child. Right. Well, and I think those resources are so important because, Mm -hmm. you know, as parents, we're always looking for the best options we can afford that are feasible, that are reasonable. So let's pivot a little bit. You touched on, you know, personal care products, and we know that there's a huge lack of transparency here in the United States. We know many other countries are far more strict in terms of ingredients that we can be exposed to. What are some of the things that you discovered as you were kind of writing this book and and you were on this journey that you feel would be particularly helpful for individuals that are trying to make better choices? Like, I think it's very overwhelming when people think about, you know, the personal care products and the nutrition and the food. So it's like start in one place and change one thing. Exactly. Yeah. And and in the book, in the book cleaners course, you write it, so you know, but Mm -hmm. my goal is to walk people through, let them know some of the issues. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're talking about personal care products, what are some of the issues? You know, we've got obesogens, endocrine Mm -hmm. disruptors, all these different things. And the beauty of it is you don't have to memorize what to leave out. You know, there are too many. There's like really thousands and thousands and thousands of chemicals in these products. Like for example, and I've got a little notes here because otherwise I'd forget in a 2018, like a the breast cancer prevention partners tested beauty products, personal care products, cleaning products. And they found per product, 46 to 220 something unique chemicals per product. 
So the good news is you don't have to memorize them. You don't have to know what they are. You just have to have some strategies that you can use to know, you know, which products are safer, which products are, you know, taking out these harmful chemicals. You know, in Europe, they do a much better job than we do in America. There are a lot of things they're not allowed to put in products at all, but here we are in America putting them in there. So you don't have to memorize it though. You can go to, for example, the environmental working group. Do you use their app? Are you familiar with it? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really great app. And I think much to your point, the whole concept, it's overwhelming. There are you know, toxins that people can't produce. There's lots of, you know, acronyms and right. people feel like it's vegetable soup. So yeah. knowing that there are definitely resources that are out there that are easily accessible, like you can download that app to your phone right. and have it with you. So you can kind of plug things in is certainly very helpful. And it's interesting, even like Canada has far more consumer protection laws in place. Mm-hmm. And and it was interesting, like probably five or six years ago, I started using Beauty Counters products yeah. really out of essential needs for finding something that was cleaner than conventional. And at that time, like they hadn't passed any legislation since like 1938 to protect consumers with personal care products. I remember I found that astounding. I was like, how do I not know that? I'm a healthcare professional. How do I not know that? And so, you know, it's something that from a very like granular level, it's like, wow, that's a lot to kind of process and understand. You know, one thing I found surprising, you know, I had a podcast with Lara Adler earlier this year, and she's, you know, one of these people that really is her lane is talking about toxins and making it, you know, less scary. And so, you know, our water supply is something I never even thought about. I'd love for you to touch on that because I think that's another area that people kind of assume is Mm -hmm. super clean and it's not. And and the tie into to personal care products with that is that if the first ingredient on a product says water, more than likely it's not clean water. (laughs) It could be toilet water for all you know. Well, you know, and just I'm trying to think of when it was, I think it was before I started writing cleanish. Maybe it was in the middle of when I was researching for it, but for example, consumer reports, they love to, you know, look at things and see Mm -hmm. what's there, but they looked at bottled waters and they found all these chemicals in these bottled waters and, you know, like your bottled fizzy waters. And it was like, it exceeded the threshold of safety. And well, the the manufacturers like, oh, but it's, it's okay. It's still safe, but it didn't exceed, you know, the ones that the government had in place, but it exceeded the safety thresholds that we would want in our waters. So they're all, all the companies were like, oh, it's no big deal. It's fine. But the problem is these chemicals add up, Mm -hmm. you know, they accumulate in our bodies over time. And so every little bit, you're getting a little bit here and you're getting a little bit there. And so, you know, they'll do the research on this tiny little amount as if that's the only thing you're exposed to. But you're not just exposed to that tiny little amount in your, you know, whatever favorite bottled water product is, it it adds up. And so amazingly, right after Consumer Reports published that, the companies managed to get it a little better. (laughs) They they managed to lower the levels. They're like, it was perfectly fine, but we did. We lowered it a little bit, right? So a little bit of public (laughs) shaming will go a long way. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's like the toxin bucket. We get exposed and exposed and exposed. And I think, you know, specific to women in middle age, like Mm -hmm. I know it's not sexy, but if you're 35, 40 or older, you know, cumulatively Mm -hmm. over a lifetime, it can be enough to really mess with your hormones. And and so, you know, when we're thinking about like endocrine disrupting hormones and obesogens, and this is an area that I think is of particular interest. And ironically enough, when I was polling my listeners, asking like, what do you want me to ask Jen? That's not fasting related because her book is (laughs) really interesting, but it's kind of a departure from from what you associate her with. And this is the area they really wanted to have you speak from because there's a lot of misinformation you know, especially with obesogens, you know, when we're mm-hmm. thinking about impacting the endocrine system, you know, we know that adipose tissue is a very highly vascularized, very sophisticated. We think of fat as being just fat and, and it's it is not, far more, yeah, it's far yeah. more sophisticated <laughs> than that with a lot of signaling and right. all sorts of scientific things that, you know, impact how, whether or not we're able to lose it successfully or not. So I'd love for you to speak on that because I think it really is a huge bucket of stuff. It's not just just obesogens. Obesogens can be everywhere. Well, and it's just a matter of, you know, our bodies are just wonderfully designed machines. We're not supposed to even have to think about it, right? We just, we eat, you know, think back, you know, 
I don't know how far do we have to go back now? Well, I was going to say your grandparents' age, your great-grandparents' age. Think about, you know, when before anyone had moved, we're all where our ancestors are from, right? We're all just where those places we had, you know, just the natural world. We put in real food because that's all there was. We, we drank the water that was there and our bodies knew what to do. We've got beautiful self-cleaning mechanisms in our bodies, our liver, our, you know, our organs, they do so many things. But now we're putting in all these different chemicals and obesogen. I mean, obesogen is like a big word, right? Endocrine disruptors can be obesogens. Yeah. So it's not like, here's your list of obesogens. Here's your, <laughs> you know, they can be both like something could be an obesogen and an endocrine disruptor, for example. And so, you know, these chemicals come in our bodies and they, for example, may bind to the sites that our hormones are supposed to bind to. So then our hormones can't do what they're supposed to do or you know, they'll disrupt, you know, other types of signaling. So, I mean, again, there's thousands of these chemicals out there. So it's not just like, well, here's the ones to watch for. No, (laughs) you want to put as few of these things in as you can. Now, the title of the book is clean-ish, eat mostly clean, live mainly clean. And you said it beautifully when you mentioned the word bucket, you know, and I talk about this. I actually heard this analogy back when we were dealing with Will's problems, the bucket effect. So, you know, if listeners think about your bucket, you know, a bucket is how many toxins your body can hold. Some of us have bigger buckets than others, depending on other health factors, but you know, your bucket can hold a certain amount of toxins. So, you know, if you're going through life, putting in lots and lots of toxins through your foods, through your water, through what you're putting on your skin, through the chemicals you're putting in your house, maybe you've got air fresheners everywhere, you know, all that sort of thing. It gets in your body and your body is just like trying to deal with it Mm -hmm. and your body has to stash it away, but your bucket gets more and more full. And, you know, what these different chemicals do depends on what they are. You know, they might just get stashed away in fat for later, or maybe they're going around actively doing things (laughs) just depending on what, what they are. But once your bucket is full, then you put more in and it's going to overflow. And that's when you're going to have some sort of symptom. It could be stubborn fat that you can't lose. It could be inflammation. It could be terrible allergies. There's so many ways it could manifest. It could be behavior problems like with Will. And so, you know, we want to avoid putting those things in as much as we can, just in all their different manifestations of where it could be. But you can't live your life in a bubble. And I think that's also, you know, that's why it's clean ish Mm -hmm. because you know, you can get so scared that you're afraid to just like, like, you know, I'm riding in the car with my friend yesterday and she just sprayed on some perfume and I'm like, pretty sure it wasn't clean. Right. <laughs> it had some toxins. They went in my body, but I didn't freak out. I was like, okay, you know, because I, you know, really care about what I use most of the time. It's not that big of a deal to, you know, to be exposed here and there, you're going to get exposed to things, but am I going to buy that perfume and use it? No, but you know, you have to just figure out, you do the best you can to get the level in your bucket lower. And I know I didn't go into specific details about, you know, here's all the, where you're going to get your obesogens. Cause it's really like, it could be everywhere. It could be your pots and pans, right? The coating on them. It could be, you know, the water bottle that you're using, and then you put it out in the sun and now it's like getting it leaching into your water, or it could be like the water bottle that was, you know, came, you got at the store and it sat on a pallet in a hot truck. And then the chemicals came out of that water bottle. So it's just, it's all of those different things that you just have to keep in mind. I don't know. Did I go down too many rabbit holes there? No, no, no. I think, you know, what you're really emphasizing is balance. Like we don't Mm -hmm. want people Mm -hmm. to be stressed and worried. We just want people to feel informed. And I always say to my patients and clients, well, like change one thing at a time. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you change your deodorant or maybe Mm -hmm. you change the product you clean your bathroom with, or, you know, maybe you look on environmental working groups website and you look at the clean 15 and the dirty dozen. And, you know, based on your budget, you decide what fruits Mm -hmm. and vegetables need to be organic and which ones don't. And it really can be that helpful and simplistic. Now I know that food man and food and personal care products, et cetera, manufacturers have gotten very savvy. Oh yeah. And there's a term called greenwashing. Yes. 
And I have been bamboozled by this myself. So bamboozled. You mentioned that this has happened to you as well, but for the benefits of listeners, can you kind of unpack what that is so that, you know, they will see this because the the manufacturers are trying desperately not to lose sales. So they're going to try to distinct. It's almost like it's a smoke and mirrors effect. Yes. They're going to deflect your attention so that you buy the product based on X without paying attention. What's in the ingredients. That's right. They um, Greenwashing happens with foods, with personal care products, mm-hmm. with cleaning products. And it's when they make it look green mm-hmm. on the label by the use of, I mean, even the images they put on the label, you know, are the words that they use, like all natural are like my favorite chemical free. You know, I'm married to a chemist. He has a yes, PhD you know. in medicinal <laughs> chemistry, but I'm like, you know, if you ask him chemical free, water is a chemical. So is anything mm-hmm. chemical free? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> that's actually impossible. But, mm-hmm. you know, they use all these words and you're like, oh, chemical free. That sounds so great. And I'm, um, you know, are all natural where arsenic is natural. So, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't mean it's good for you just because it's all natural. So you have to really just be careful. Like I had, it was a brand of cleaning products that I thought was a great brand. I thought it was a good one. And I had it, you know, and stashed all around my house. That's what I used to clean my bathroom and my shower and my kitchen. And, and it was full of fragrance, right? Fragrance Mm -hmm. is one of those things that, you know, labeling laws of the United States, fragrance could literally be anything and they don't have to tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. It could really be anything. So they could like say, for example, that the product doesn't have, you know, something in it, Mm -hmm. but then they say fragrance, but it could be in the fragrance and they don't have to disclose it. So you think you don't have it, but it's really in there after Mm -hmm. all. But anyway, I started looking at this, you know, when I was really researching for the book and I'm like, well, you know, I know these are fine, but let me just look in the environmental working group app and see how they score. They scored so badly. I couldn't believe it. Like the dish soap that I used, it was their brand of dish soap and it got like a really bad score. And I'm like, what? So then I was looking and like one of the brands that I would never have bought, like the traditional blue dish soap that, you know, we've all seen all around, but Mm -hmm. actually scored better, scored better Mm -hmm. than this clean one I was using. So I was like, I paid more for I certainly paid more for it. I paid a lot for it. And it was, (laughs) I felt like I was making such a great choice because I wasn't picking, you know, the blue one that, you know, everybody's mother Mm -hmm. used. I was doing this better choice. It was better for the environment. No. So, I mean, I didn't switch to the blue one. I switched to one that was even better than that because I had the information. There's all sorts of databases you can use. I just happen to like the environmental working group because I throw on my phone. And, you know, it can be hard when you're in the store and you're trying to figure out what to get. So my strategy is, you know, you remember those Ronco commercials, set it and forget it, where they're making that rotisserie chicken. I just like to set it and forget it. Like you mentioned beauty counter. Mm -hmm. I switched completely to beauty counter Mm -hmm. and then I don't have to worry about it. I use their shampoo. They've already done the work. They have a commitment, but it doesn't have to be beauty counter. There are other brands like that too. They Mm -hmm. make a commitment that we will never put certain things in our products and you know that you can trust them and then you don't have to think about it. Right. And, you know, you may pay a little bit more for certain products, but I find that I have fewer of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm paying more for less. And, you know, I don't need you know, 50 cleaning products under my kitchen sink, which is what I had under there. I like that. I can't remember the exact number. I put it in cleanish. It was insane how many products I had. And so I've simplified, like I use a brand of cleaning products. Now branch basics is the one I use. Have you ever used branch basics? Yep. Love that. But it freaked everyone out in my house. They're like, wait, we just put like a couple drops of something and it works. Yeah. That that, um, makes sense. Yeah. I don't, I I couldn't even believe it when they said that I ordered it and it came to my house and I was like, okay, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. But it got my stainless steel refrigerator. I had like all the fancy stainless steel cleaners. None of those are any good. Mm-hmm. I got rid of them. But this got my stainless steel refrigerator cleaner. And it was like you put in, they've sent it to you the concentrate. And so you put mm-hmm. in the water and literally two drops in the one that's supposed to make it sparkle and shine. And it absolutely did. I'm like, yeah. well, there you go. Yeah. And I add essential oils to give it a scent. You know, I use organic essential oils and I can make it smell like whatever I want. You know, yeah. peppermint smells clean to me. So I put it in my laundry detergent. So that's perfect. And it's it all is. about finding like mm-hmm. the cleanest version of what, you know, where your priorities are. Exactly. I have admittedly struggled to find like the cleanest 
dishwasher detergent. I was going to say that that's the yeah. one. And now I am cleanish and mm-hmm. I, <laughs> dishwashing detergent is one because a lot of them just do not get the dishes no. clean. And I so, have a super crunchy friend who puts citric acid in her. Di- I mean, I've tried everything. Yeah. I finally told her, I just, I give up. I'm like, yeah. I try to find the cleanest option in the grocery store that I can find, but I cannot handle not having clean dishes. You like, got to have clean dishes. I get it. I'm the same. It's funny that you said that because I'm the yeah. same exact way. And that's where, you know, when, when the reader reads cleanish at mm-hmm. the end of every chapter, you know, you do something. I'm a teacher mm-hmm. still, so I'm teaching you and I'm giving you some things to do, but you actually make a plan and you come up with your own definition of mm-hmm. what it means to be cleanish. You know, I am using these clean cleaning products but when I wash my dishes, you know, and I really need them to be clean in the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not picking the one that's like the highest scoring because mm-hmm. that didn't do the right thing for my dishes. Yeah. And so it's got to work. You know, even you mentioned natural deodorant. I use Beauty Counter's natural deodorant 90 something percent of the time. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> you know, I live here in Augusta, Georgia, and there are some days when it is, you know, hundred and something degrees and I'm going to be outside at a block party. And I have another deodorant I might just put on, right? Yeah. <laughs> For those special occasions. Mm-hmm. But because I, you know, I'm not putting it on my body every single day, you know, I'm like, well, today I've just got to do it. I've just got to right. use this. Right. And so it's okay. I'm cleanish. I'm not going to get upset. You know, it's not going to ruin my health because my mm-hmm. body can deal with these things because, you know, all the other ways that I am more careful about what I put into my body or on my body. I've been using MitoPure for the last two years, and I've added this to my routine for multiple reasons. Number one, it's a foundational supplement for me and my family. It keeps things simple, and I know that I cannot get enough of urolithin A in my food to derive the same benefits. And if you're not familiarized with urolithin A, it's a signaling molecule, but it's also actively involved in anti-aging, energy production. And I take Timeline because of its remarkable remarkable healthy aging solution that activates key critical cellular pathways in my body. It's a total game changer for healthy aging. I alternate between using the soft gels and powder depending on whether or not I'm traveling. And we know that restoring cellular energy is a key to enduring health. And this is concluded in a recent publication in Nature Metabolism, which is a top scientific journal identifying that newly energized cells may provide many more years of healthy life to people. Yet as we age, we know that cellular energy production naturally declines and reduces our prospects of optimal health and longevity. That's the great thing about Timeline is you can restore cellular energy and support healthy aging. I've noticed the biggest improvements in my energy and sleep levels. We know that Timeline is clinically shown to give our cellular energy generators the mitochondria new power. And when taken daily, it replaces aging mitochondria. So it upregulates mitophagy and rebuilds new ones or mitogenesis. Timeline is the only nutrient that can do what it does. So Timeline renews your cells to a more powerful state. My listeners can get 10% off your first order at timeline.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off at timeline.com slash Cynthia. I know you're going to love this product. A great deal about our focus on everyday wellness is on supporting gut health. And one of my new favorite ways to recommend to family and friends and even clients is to consider colostrum. And so Equip Foods has an amazing product that helps to improve immunity and gut health and recovery. And each scoop contains grass-fed, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free colostrum. And if you're wondering what colostrum is, it's a nutritional powerhouse that serves as the first source of nutrition for mammals in nature. It's been shown to enhance immune function, gut health, and recovery with vital nutrients such as lactoferrin, growth factors, and prolon-rich polypeptides. Colostrum is a natural milk-like fluid produced by mammals immediately following delivery of the newborn. And while colostrum is a dairy product, it does not contain milk or lactose. So most people with lactose intolerance usually find colostrum very easily digestible and beneficial to gut health. You can use one scoop a day. You can mix it in things like coffee or mix it in shakes or even yogurt or even some of your baked food recipes. 
as I mentioned, has a lot of health benefits, including research demonstrating the improvement in a reduction in inflammation, promoting good gut flora, and supporting restoring leaky gut to normal permeability. And what I love best is that Equip Foods is very ethically focused. Their cows are humanely raised and ethically treated. And cows produce an excess of colostrum when nursing. So only after their babies get what they need, are they able to source the excess colostrum for use in their products. There is three grams of colostrum in each scoop and one serving in comparison to main competitors has just one gram. And research demonstrates that this dose of three grams actually promotes more benefits to gut health, immune function, recovery, and vitality. So if you'd love to take care of your health, you can go to www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20 to get 20% off your first order. That's www.equip. E-Q-U-I-P-Foods.com slash Cynthia20. You definitely want to check this out. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to hear, you know, the concept of good, better, best, like under the given circumstances, you make the best choice possible. And I oftentimes will say that in conjunction to food. And so one of the areas of the book that I really appreciated was you're really talking about subsidized food. Oh yeah. Why we find certain foods and proliferation in the processed food industry. and, And I- did kind of a deep dive. I don't know if you, have you read the book, The Unhealthy Truth? I've not read that one. It I need to read her, it. Yeah. It's a really good book. So Robin O'Brien was a lobbyist. And so she okay. kind of talks from the experience of being a mom who had a child mm-hmm. that ended up building food allergies. And she went down that rabbit hole to follow mm-hmm. the money. And so, you know, she talks a lot about food subsidies and why we see so much dairy as an example, or oh, yeah. wheat or corn in the processed foods. And so I think it's really interesting you know, one of the things you wrote in the book was talking about genetically modified foods, yeah. which we can certainly unpack, but of the genetically modified foods, when it, if it's got soybeans in it, it, 94% of those are genetically modified. It's going to be genetically yeah. modified. Yeah. And it's kind of staggering because you realize like, it's actually, cause I, I will have patients who love edamame and they love mm-hmm. to eat. They're like, what's the problem with soy? I can have my tofu and my this and my that. And I'm like, well, it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. So let's unpack the concept of like farm subsidies and GMOs, because I think it's really relevant if people are listening to this and saying, okay, I got the chemicals and my personal care products, but like the nutrition piece is so, Mm -hmm. so important. And especially for people that are middle-aged and beyond, or, you know, stuck in middle age and feeling like the weight loss resistance piece is really a struggle for them. This is important for people to really understand. It really is. And it's, there's so many directions we could go with this answer, even just, you know, for example, let's just talk about genetically modified. Mm -hmm. You know, there are all sorts of trains of thought about how genetically modified foods might be bad for us, right? Mm -hmm. It could be because of this, or it could be because of that, or it could be because of the other, but there was a paper that I referenced in Cleanish, and the title of the paper is something like GMOs, there is no scientific consensus. That's not the title, but it was something along those lines. The top scientists examined, this is out of Europe, examined all the evidence and could not agree whether they were good or bad or safe or not, that. or whatever. But you know, I love the concept of the precautionary principle, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if the scientists can't agree, whether it's harmful or whatever, <laughs> I probably don't want that because probably the people I find usually the ones saying it's not harmful are hmm, the people who make those products, you know, the people who are growing those GMOs, they will tell you they have all this data about how safe it is, right? These GMOs. Whereas we've got the other people who are saying, maybe it's not. So you got to look at all the evidence, not just the one from the people who are making it right. They amazingly, when they fund the research, it turns out that it's perfectly great for you, but you know, perhaps it's, you know, the pesticide that they're using, you know, the pesticides come along with the food when, when it gets to you and you're taking in the toxins from the pesticides, or maybe it's the, you know, the genetically modified, it's changing the food itself. And so our bodies are not recognizing it in some way, you know, the nutrients, you know, so there's a lot of different ways that GMOs could be harmful, but it's just easier just to avoid them I know, (laughs) when you can. And it's interesting because I think about how corn, most conventionally grown corn actually grows with an insecticide inside it. So you are ingesting 
the insecticide or wheat, you know, it's yeah. exposed to glyphosate. And then yeah. you know, we know what that does to the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. It's we terrible the conversation. And so I, mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, are you sensitive to wheat or are you sensitive yeah. to what's done to the wheat? And right. you know, I've been gluten-free for 10 years and I actually had an autoimmune issue, which went into complete remission going, you know, wheat free and grain free. And so I tell people all the time, you have to experiment. Like each one of us may need to experiment a little yeah. bit differently to find like where our sweet spot is. And glyphosate is just, Oh terrible, yeah. It's definitely not. I mean, there's like no study. I think that they could find that makes it beneficial to us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Really. They're just debating does, is it really, really bad or not so bad, but there's no chance that it's better, no. you know, and, and I talk about in that chapter, you know, better living through chemistry. And it's really interesting when you go back and think, you know, when we started with all these chemicals, we were mm-hmm. looking for better yield for the foods and trying to feed the world. And then we just kind of gotten to the point, well, okay, now we're feeding the world, but the world is getting really sick from this food now that we've got, cause it's not yeah. food anymore. Yeah. And we, we've taken it from food and now it's not food. So, you know, we, that happens so often we try are trying to solve one problem and then we create a problem. That's like, Oh, now we've got an even bigger problem created from the problem that we solved for the first problem. So, you know, it really, really is. And and this is where I think, you know, with good intention, you know, there's good intention, you know, I was talking about this a few days ago that processed food industry was started with good intentions to help people get back to the world workforce after world war two and save time in the kitchen. And now it's evolved into a, $470 trillion per year business. And most of that is profits. And so I remind people all the time, if you have, if you can't think of it in any other context, the processed food industry does not care about your health. They care about profits. And if you think about it from that lens, you're like, Oh, let's eat less processed food. Right. And you know, they make the food hyper palatable. We Mm -hmm. used to mention that word earlier, but it's true. You know, they have the flavors are more flavorful than anything mm-hmm. in nature. And so then you start to crave these artificial flavors. Yeah. Like, you know, you've read the book, The Dorito Effect, yeah. you know, and so these are like, these flavors are, you know, made in a lab to be like stimulating to the point that you literally can't eat just mm-hmm. one. And so yeah. you keep eating them and eating them and eating them and it just drives and you're not getting any nutrients at all. And so our bodies become, you know, once I, when I first heard the phrase overfed and undernourished, it Mm -hmm. just really rang true for me because Mm -hmm. when you go out and look, you know, when I look at myself from 2014, when I was obese, you know, I was definitely overfed. You can see it on my body. I was overfed, but I was undernourished and an undernourished body keeps looking for nutrients. And so that's the thing I think that is powerful. When you mm-hmm. eat real food and you're getting the nutrients your body needs, you're able to stop eating when you're satisfied because your body's yeah. like, all right, I got the nutrients that I needed. I'm full now. Yeah. But you know, if you're eating you know, the junk food, the ultra processed food, you can eat like a whole lot of it mm-hmm. and then still be hungry. Yeah. And because your body doesn't count calories, your body counts nutrients. And so it si- still sends you, I mean, we know that our bodies do this. Like, for example, we know that pregnant women can have deficiencies. Like for example, pica, is that yeah. the, the name They'll of the illness dirt. where they, like they, they go out and they dirt. clay or <laughs> yep. whatever they're eating dirt because their body is deficient in, in minerals. And so they're eating stuff that is not food. But I mean, have you ever just been assuming you don't have pica, you've never been walking along and saying, I just want to eat that dirt. That looks so no. good. No. But they're craving it. And then so they eat it and it's because their body's sending them that Looking powerful message. Yeah. yeah. We've got those signals within us. We just have to reconnect with them by eating the real food. And then we are no longer going to be overfed because we are well-nourished. So that's the goal. I think the satiety piece is so critically Mm -hmm. important. Like when you eat real food and you're like, oh, I've had plenty of protein. I've had my vegetables or whatever else you're having. And you're like, I'm full. I'm done eating. That's how our bodies are designed to thrive. And ironically, a good friend of mine, who's a hormone specialist said, he knows that your hormones are well-balanced when you're hungry, horny, and happy. And it was good, hilarious. Yeah. It was just so direct. And I just, <laughs> that them, could be like, a book that's, title. That's he needs exactly. to write it. I was like, hungry, horny and happy. Brilliant. Like absolutely brilliant. But it typifies, you know, if you're not ha- experiencing those things, then it could be that there's some other avenue that you need to kind of explore. And, and certainly I know for a lot of people that follow both of us, there are a lot of people in that bucket. I would be remiss if I didn't at least touch on seed oils because I think okay. they're 
it is probably the one ingredient that I tell people all the time. It's if there's one ingredient you can avoid yeah. in processed foods. And it, it'll mean that you'll eat a whole lot less because it's in so much. So you really have to, you cannot yes. eat processed foods, ultra processed foods and give up because they're in everything, even the organic versions, right? Seed oils are, and you know, you and I both know Melanie Avalon. She's yes. my co-host on the intermittent fasting <laughs> podcast. Right. I love her. She's great. She's like my little sister, yes. my little slightly wacky sister that I love so much, but I'm like, I'm not doing that little sis. Right. But mm-hmm. she always was telling me about seed oils and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no I don't care about that. I cannot worry about everything. I cannot right. worry about everything. Yeah. And I wasn't ready to hear it. Wasn't ready. But when I started researching for cleanish, started reading stuff and I'm yeah. like, oh, Melanie was right. Those seed oils are so bad. They're so I bad know. for us. And it's, it's everything from the way they're processed to, I mean, mm-hmm. the, there's nothing good in them. So, no. you know, you, if you're buying packaged foods, even organic mm-hmm. packaged chips, for example, they are going to be full of these seed oils and yeah. they can be organic seed oils and still really bad for you. So, you know, you want to stick to you know olive oil. Mm-hmm. avocado oil, mm-hmm. coconut oil, yep. butter, actual butter. Yep. Those are things our bodies know what to do with. Yep. But again, you put these, these seed oils in and our body's like, what is this junk? And so it doesn't know what to do with it. And so it drives inflammation in our bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me real puffy. I probably look puffy right now. Cause I'm, no. I'm actually recording this from the beach and I've been here with friends and we ate out and I, and my seed oils work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the good but thing is you know what to do. You can you know, do. just do a little more autophagy. A little more fasting. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly you. what to do. I can't wait to get back home and cook tomorrow night. I'm going to cook dinner and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, And that's half the battle is just knowing, yeah. you know, if you get exposed to it, you know what to do to kind of get back on track. Exactly. And so, you know, talk to me about, you know, the book is designed so that you can define for yourself you know, what your variation of cleanish is. And so, you know, when I read through it, I think it's, it's an appropriate book for people that are at the beginning of the journey, yes. people that are more experienced, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly for me, you touched on a lot of my favorite people like Weston A. Price, who I yeah. learned about in my functional program. And I quote all the time now, like I've become that nerdy person that's right. like, well, if you read Weston A. Rice's, <laughs> Weston A. Price's research, you know, you'll see that when you look at indigenous people versus people that, you know, live in traditional Western societies and why there's so much dental caries. And I'm proud to say I've never had a cavity in my entire adult, oh, my entire exciting. life. And my parents were crunchy before we yeah. knew what that was, but, you know, just talking about how there have been people for the last hundred plus years who've been doing this research. It's just not brought to light. Yeah. And, you know, he was for people who don't know, I mean, he was a dentist and he, mm-hmm. Noticed that in the Western world, America, we had, you know, misshapen faces Mm -hmm. and everybody needed braces. But I mean, honestly, do you think the human mouth is supposed to develop so that no one's teeth fit in it? No, (laughs) we're supposed to develop so that we have, you know, well-spaced teeth. And so he noticed when he was traveling the world that hmm, when he went other places, they did have beautiful teeth. What was the difference? And they were all eating different foods. And Mm -hmm. so that's the thing, you know, I've been part of the diet wars for a long time since I had my first Facebook support group in 2015. And people are always arguing about, you should eat this way. You should eat that way. You should eat the other way. And, you know, you can use, you know, all sorts of populations as like evidence for why this is a good way to eat because they ate like this or they ate like that. But really there are healthy populations all over the world who ate totally different in the Mm -hmm. Arctic circle. They ate completely differently (laughs) than the way they were eating on, you know, the tropical islands of the Pacific. Mm -hmm. It was night and day different of what they were eating, but they were all healthy. Mm -hmm. They were very healthy because they were eating real food. Mm -hmm. So I talk about, you know, several different researchers in cleanish, but you know, they traveled all over, but whenever they saw indigenous populations eating the foods that their ancestors ate for all of time, they were healthy, mm-hmm. but whenever they started, you know, bringing in the modern processing, suddenly we had less health yeah. <laughs> and it was just pretty much across the board that they were able to make those connections. That's amazing. Totally yeah. amazing. Well, Jen, let the listeners know how to connect with you, how okay. to get a copy of your book. We're going to make sure this goes out right before your book is officially able to be in people's hot little hands. Yeah. They can pre-order it. Let listeners know how to connect with you and get a pre-order of your book. 
All right. Well, Cleanish is available anywhere books are sold that you like to buy them. You can go to, of course, Amazon has it. A lot of people mm-hmm. prefer to, you know, go to your local bookstore and have them pre-order it for you. Support a local business. That's what I would do because I, you know, especially during the pandemic, support your local stores. But anywhere, anywhere you like to buy books, January fourth is the date that it will mm-hmm. show up <laughs> wherever it is, and you know, get your whatever format you prefer: Audible, audiobook. You know, the electronic version. This is one I think you're going to want to have the actual paperback in your hands because of the way that you're going to interact with this book. This is not a book that you're going to read all in one sitting straight through like you're reading a novel. And so you're going to want to go back to different parts and, you know, there's sections you can, you know, do things in the book or checklists, things like that. There's also, if you go to jenstevens.com slash cleanish, and it's G-I-N, Stevens is with a P-H, jenstevens.com slash cleanish. There's actually like the documents that you'll need to do. They're actually there. So you can download them, print them out, you know, get what you need from that. And, you know, you can connect with me from just jenstevens.com. It's got links to my podcasts. I am no longer on Facebook. I left that social media, but I have a community. So if you go to jenstevens.com slash community, I've got a community for my intermittent fasters and it's just us. And it's so nice. (laughs) It's refreshing. I'm so excited for you. And obviously I know my listeners will want to check your book out. Um, Thank you. Let me know how I can help support your launch. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.